0: I think a lot of people, they're looking for resources instead of being resourceful. I can't even fathom that idea of like, I don't know how to turn this thing into a PNG. Are you serious? Welcome everyone to another episode of the Big
1: Picture Business Podcast. And I am just, I'm overwhelmed with joy to chat with our amazing guest today. Todd Brown is here, you guys. Can you believe it? Hi, Rory. Hi, Todd.
0: Hey, hey, I am thrilled to be here. I'm I'm super excited to be with you guys, hanging out, chatting, talking, marketing. And so um, I'm sure this is going to be a blast. Oh,
1: we're going to have so much fun. His bio is so wildly impressive. I'm just going to read it to you guys because I don't want to miss a oh. thing. You ready? <laughs> here we go. Todd Brown is considered the number one authority on engineering profitable customer acquisition campaigns and the creator of the renowned E5 Method. He is truly one of the most sought-after marketing experts other experts go to when they need help with their businesses. With clients in over 64 different countries operating over 71 different mass and niche markets, Todd has helped his students engineer more six- and seven-figure marketing campaigns than any other expert online today. Oh,
0: my God. I I am so uncomfortable with the intro portion of, like... (laughs) these kind of episodes, to this very day, it's just like, oh gosh, it sounds so much more impressive than what I really bring to the table.
1: You're a humble man. I mean, through and through.
0: Oh gosh. (laughs) Here's the thing. You're
2: changing lives. You're changing people's businesses, helping them, right? So at the same time, you have to be able to share anyone who's got some credibility that they need to share. A lot of times they don't want to
0: put it out there. At least you're willing to, even if it is uncomfortable. Oh goodness. Well, yeah. I mean, I I think, look, it, it is humbling that all of us, you know, Know, the three of us get to impact lives we just happen to do it through marketing and the entrepreneurial journey but what excites me is seeing the the mom the dad the family who has the time now has the autonomy you know is just able to do the things or live the lifestyle that they want you know something small maybe that they learn from me and so it's incredibly humbling yeah.
1: That's what it's all about. Truly. Well, hey, I want to know more about your backstory. Like where, where'd you come from? I think you're from New Jersey. Do I have that right?
0: Yes. Can you believe it? Like, (laughs) does anything like positive come out of New Jersey? But it does (laughs) every now and then something slips out. I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I'm now in South Florida and West Palm Beach. Wife, two daughters, both in college, just dropped my younger daughter off in, um, in in her dorm, you know, moved her in. And so I like to say that up until moments ago, I was in the fetal position. Ironically, I went to school for clinical nutrition. And then I went into the fitness industry and I worked for a company that had uh, multiple upscale health clubs in New Jersey. And I was ultimately responsible for the personal training department. So I was put in charge of this department, managing lots of people across multiple facilities, teaching them how to market and sell personal training services to grow the department. And I was ultimately paid off of the revenue that we brought in. At the time, I knew nothing about you know, marketing Marketing, advertising. I really thought that they were the same thing. Mm. And then one day I get a postcard in the mail, long form copy, offering this marketing and sales system for fitness professionals. And so I had asked my boss, I said, Hey, can I expense this? It was like 300 bucks or something like that. That was my first exposure to direct response marketing, long form copy, the idea of salesmanship in print to show you how long ago this was. It was big binders, cassette tapes, like, right. There are people that are going to hear this, watch this that are like, what are cassette tapes, right? <laughs> These were cassette tapes. And I absolutely just fell in love. I became enamored with this idea of being able to craft a message one time that would move somebody to buy and then be able to kind of use that over and over with hundreds, thousands of, uh, of people. So I implemented it in the facilities in my department. Over time, had to make certain tweaks to fit our style and, and, and our facilities. Just a, a, a short while later, my department became the poster child. We were the shining star in the entire company, grew this division of the company to over $3 million a year, relying on direct response marketing and and then ultimately selling, if you will. And then I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug and I wanted to share what it is that I had learned, what I was kind of doing and developed. I chose massage therapists. I didn't want to do anything in the fitness industry because I didn't want there to be a conflict of interest with my current employer. And so I I packaged up something very similar in style, home study thing, cassette tapes, all this, you know, disquet. And I began um, sharing it with massage therapists and helping massage therapists grow. And then it led to working with chiropractors. And then eventually it transformed into working with entrepreneurs from lots of different verticals, coaches, consultants, agency owners, that sort of thing, which kind of led me to where I am today.
1: Wow. Wow! Crazy journey,
0: like big <laughs> yeah. crazy. I tell everybody, you know, I started at the time, my kids were like newborns, you know, they were 17 months apart. Like I think I had one, my older daughter at the time, newborn. I started with 850 bucks of my own money. I used that. I don't even remember like filing a corporation, like, you know, crazy stuff and never had to invest another dime of my own money into the business. Everything that I, I just reinvested the money that we were making back into just learning, growing developing the business. I think I did that for over a year where I didn't take a dime out. And I was working it early in the morning, late at night, weekends, just so desperately wanted the autonomy. That's really what I wanted. Like I was after the autonomy. The money was never the primary driver for me. It was really, initially it was, I just wanted to wake up when I wanted, take lunch when I wanted, take vacation when I wanted. And so that was the, um the driver made a lot of mistakes along the way, kind of learned a lot of what not to do, what doesn't work. And yeah, it's been a Heck of a ride.
1: I love that you said that money wasn't the main driver. I feel like that's a very common theme with successful entrepreneurs, like all of us. I know, like for Rory, for myself, and now learning from you, it wasn't the driver. It was, I want my own schedule. I want to wake up when I want to wake up. I want to play with my daughter. I don't want to be on somebody else's schedule. I think that's an important piece to the entrepreneurial spirit.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think I don't want to call it a red flag because, right, there's no judgment. I think everybody is motivated, you know, in their own way by whatever it is. But, you know, when folks, are really just looking to make money. It just opens you up to do things that, you know, you probably shouldn't do, say things that you probably shouldn't say, promise things that you really shouldn't probably promise. It exposes you to things that lead down a a not so good path.
2: Yeah. The transition that you went through from employee to entrepreneur. Most people just want to drop everything and just become the entrepreneur. And they forget that, well, it takes a while to build a business, right? Yeah. For me, like, I know I went through an internal struggle with working other jobs where it was, I I remember this one time very clearly where I was going to a job interview and I had such a bad panic attack because I knew it wasn't something I should be doing that I could not go to the interview because I was shaking so much,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah,
2: And I think people get into those, those spots where they're like, oh, I just can't do this anymore. But then they forget that, well, life moves while you're still growing the business and you're reinvesting in order to grow rapidly. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. What was that year period like for you when you were trying to navigate being an employee and an entrepreneur at the same time?
0: I could very much relate to, you know, to, to what it is that you shared to your, to your experience in that at first, when I, I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug, what I really got bit by was like let me see if what it is that I've done inside the health clubs would translate over you know to other industries like let me I just wanted to almost put myself to the test and so initially I wasn't even thinking like you know I'm I'm done with my job I'm now stepping out into my into my own gig it didn't start that way for me but then as this side thing started to grow I was like wow there is a real opportunity here and so I began to it's kind of funny I began to talk to my dad who was an entrepreneur, I started to ask him like, when is the right time to leave the job? Cause I was, you know, I'm, 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 I still am very conservative. Like I'm just very conservative, you know, to me, like 50 bucks, hundred bucks, hundred bucks. Like, I don't care how much money, like to me, it's still money. And so I was like, when do you know, like, how do you know when the time is right? He just said to me, he was like, you'll know, which is a strange piece of advice. And when he gave me that, I was like, that's the best advice you've got. Like, I'll just know, <laughs> you don't have a formula. You don't have something. Like That's the best you got. I just kept working. I wanted to give my all to my employer because that's what they deserved from me. I would work early in the morning, late at night. I made sure that it never interfered with my job. And then I knew, like I just felt in my gut, now is the time that I'm going to make this leap. And I was terrified. And so when people are are nervous, rightly so, you should be because there's a lot on the line. You know, I also recognized that it's not about the absence of fear. You don't wait for a time when you're never nervous nervous or never afraid, you're going to have to act you're going to have to step out in face of that fear despite that fear and move forward. I think that being an entrepreneur in general, no matter how big you get, no matter how successful you get, no matter how much money you make, there's always moments of fear. It's a matter of do you succumb to that fear or do you step out in spite of that fear? But uh, I did it and it was it was great. I'll actually tell you very very quickly the story that my team loves when I share. I'll make this very quick. I used to wear this button-down logoed shirt every day. We had this, you know, uniform for like, you know, Dockers and these different colored button down shirts with the logo of the health club on And I wore it every day. When I resigned, you know, I gave my employer a couple months. You know, I said like you get two months to, to, you know, I had a great relationship with them, still do to this very day. Actually did some consulting for them after when I left. I wore this thing every day. And I used to drive by this big lake on my way to the home office facility where my office was. And then, so when I resigned on the way home, Home, I pulled the car over to the lake. It was, you know, early evening, got out, left the car door open, walked over to the lake and I unbuttoned the shirt and I took it off. And I said, uh, I crumpled it up. I threw it in the water, watched it sink. And I said, I will never have to be in a position again where I'm forced to wear a uniform or a collared shirt or, or anything like that. Got in my car and, and drove home. And that was kind of a weird you know, moment for me. You know, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going to set my myself free. And uh, it's worked out up to this point.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I, you know, I want to point out that, you know, you're talking about like collared shirts and like, you wouldn't have to wear a uniform. I I see a lot of people, you know, they get online and they put their suits on and like, they try and be like super professional. And what I've noticed is that the whole point was to not do that. Right. (laughs) So you see people who like, like us who have been doing this a while. And it's like, it's not that we don't wear nice clothes, but a lot of times we're just wearing like a t-shirt or whatever, when we're doing a lot of stuff. And, you know, if we go to an event, we dress nice. But the whole point was to not be tied down to that, to not have to do that. So if someone's like scared about going online and showing themselves and feeling like, oh, I'm just wearing a t-shirt. Why is anyone going to listen to me? What would you say to that?
0: I would say that the the single most valuable thing that you can do is be authentic and be you to each his own. Everybody, you know, I, I've got clients that they should be on the cover of magazines. They're dressed so, uh, you know, they look so great and they love it. And that's them. And that's who they are. And and so I would say that that's who they should be. Be real, be you, be authentic. That is what is lacking online today. And people today are, you know, they can spot it. They can see it when you're trying to project an image. I don't think that like, look, it's not, you need to project who you are. You need to be you. If that's t-shirts, God bless, wear t-shirts. If it's a suit and that's what you're most comfortable in and that's how you dress, then then wear a suit. Don't think that you have to be something that you're not.
1: Very sound advice. I want to get back Back a little bit, just talking about entering into being, becoming a business owner and an entrepreneur. And that super significant moment of just throwing the shirt in the lake and be like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm in. You posted a video on YouTube. It's titled easy or worth it. The difference between the way successful and average entrepreneurs think. In that video, you have like a still image up of this. It looks like on Facebook. It's like a feed on Facebook where someone essentially said, oh gosh, you know, this course was just too hard. I threw In the towel day three because I couldn't figure out how to make an image, a PNG image. And Before you even started talking, I was reading that because you had it on the screen early and I started cracking up. I was like, well, then that person isn't willing to put in the effort. I mean, that's so simple. You can take five seconds to Google it. If small, minute things are stopping someone from entering into their full potential of becoming an entrepreneur and setting up the rest of their life in such a successful way, I mean, I can't even imagine what that's like for you seeing that where you're just like, are you serious? Your your delivery was so genuine and authentic in just basic saying, are you kidding me? I want to ask you, how often do you run into that with your business? And what is your typical response? Is it like, okay, see ya. Or is it just like, well, let me, you know, let's encourage and coach around this. How do you handle situations like that?
0: Yeah, that's such a great question. And it almost, it gives me chills. I don't encounter it as much anymore because, you know, we tend to attract people that are a little bit more, a little bit more serious. I am inclined to want to coach a little bit and to let people know, what I shared in that video that this is your life we're talking about. And some of it is baffling to me. People often be like, how do you get motivated? Or what would you say to somebody who's lacking motivation? My answer is always the same. You either want it or you don't. If you're not motivated by the vision, if you're not motivated by the idea of living life on your own terms of being able to call your own shots, then there's no technique that I could give you that's going to hack your way to, there are things that you can do to prevent procrastination and time management and that sort of thing. But when it comes to motivation, you either want it or you don't. And what you're really saying is that you'd rather watch Netflix than get yourself free. You'd rather goof off. You know, time is the one asset that will never get back. It's the most precious asset that you have. Every day that ticks by. I think as I've gotten older, uh, I'll be turning 50 shortly. I know I look so much younger than that. I get that all the time. Um, I'm kidding. I'm, I I look aged and beat up. Stop You know, like I just, I realize how precious time is and we're talking about your ability to spend time with your loved ones to the the your ability to enjoy the one life that you've been blessed with i think a lot of people they're looking for resources Instead of being resourceful, I can't even fathom that idea of like, I don't know how to turn this thing into a PNG. Are you serious? When you're a grandfather and you're right, is that what you're going to tell your your grandchildren of why you didn't go into your own business that you couldn't figure out how to turn the image into a PNG? If that's what you're going to allow to stop you, then you shouldn't go any further as an entrepreneur because you're going to encounter much bigger obstacles and you got to have that will and, and desire. And I believe wholeheartedly that for the folks that do, that want it badly, enough, there's nothing that you can't figure out. There's nothing that you can't learn. There's nothing that you can't figure out. I can tell you for myself, certainly the smartest entrepreneurs that I know, many of the most well-known online entrepreneurs, they're, most of us are not intellectual giants by any stretch of the imagination. And so it's just a matter of having that will to say, like, if others have done it, if others have figured it out, I can figure it out. I know that that's a long-winded answer.
1: It's so valuable. It's so valuable.
2: Great answer. And it actually um, makes me think of- of this idea that so many entrepreneurs like they struggled in school yet found a way to be successful why do you think that is
0: i don't know that's a good question i mean i know i struggled in school i was diagnosed with a learning disability in like sixth grade i almost didn't graduate from high school i couldn't get into any college when i graduated i had to go to community school it took me three years to get a two-year degree i then transferred to a state school it took me another three years to complete a four-year degree in um, nutrition i don't think that there is a correlation with and intelligence or IQ with being a successful entrepreneur. I, I, I really don't. I think that there, the majority of skills that are needed to be successful are learnable skills. And so we're not talking about, you know, sometimes, and this is why I'm a big believer even in marketing models, sales models, if you will, that are not reliant on a talent or an innate ability. You know, we're talking about singing, you know, that's like a talent. That's a blessed, you know, a blessing that you've got. These are learnable skills. I believe that anybody can learn and get good at. And so you just have to bring the will, the desire, the motivation that you need to be able to learn and do what you've got to learn and do to be successful. And if you're willing to do that, eventually you will get there. I believe that.
2: I think this actually comes down to the fact that um, there was actually a study done recently where entrepreneurs found that there wasn't a correlation between IQ and success. But what they did find is that your ability to be social, to interact with people, to like connect on a deeper level, that was more the key. And I think because people who, you know, like us, who maybe didn't do as well in school, we kind of had to find other ways. What could I use to my advantage? Yeah, right. At least for me, it was after school, like after high school. And it seems like this is for you as well, where you found something that, you're like passionate in and you became a learner. And a lot of people who are intelligent tend to stop learning (laughs) after high school or after college. And then they just, you know, they go live their lives. A lot of entrepreneurs have the opposite where, you know, they struggled and then had to find a passion or something that they really cared about to love the learning process. Yeah, And then it becomes the rest of their life it's an obsession right
0: yeah i think that's so spot on in my experience you know i i've always said you know when i was in high school and i was a terrible student like i just didn't really at the time i don't think i really understood the value of education i didn't i didn't want to be in school and so like my whole objective when i was in high school was never to bring books home right like my whole thing was i don't want to i just want i don't want to have to bring books home like a total knucklehead and i don't think i read a full book from cover to cover until i was like very early 20s, but it was when I was finally introduced. To The Psychology of Winning by Dennis Waitley it was the very first book that I like read cover to cover, devoured, mm-hmm. fell in love with it. And that really sent me off on what is, you know, become this lifelong journey of, of learning. And so I think what you said is really spot on. I found something that I became really interested in, really passionate about. I really felt like, wow, this could be a game changer. And so I just threw myself with everything that I had. And still to this day, I'm just an avid student. And I think that I'm very open to questioning what I believe is true or what, you know, like I'm very big into and very open to the idea of maybe there's a better way, there's a way to improve this, there's a, a more efficient way, a more effective way. And so I'm just constantly today learning very different from, like I said, my childhood.
1: Well, it's something that I can absolutely resonate with as well. It's interesting to be sitting here with both of you and just knowing more of the backstory about the education piece. I also almost didn't graduate. They allowed me to sing the national anthem at graduation and said, fine, you can walk. Like, we'll let you. Like, (laughs) you were struggling so immensely. I too, you know, diagnosed with multiple learning disabilities. And I had so many people telling me that I was just never going to amount to something else. And so I was just so motivated to basically say like, oh yeah, watch me. I'm going to go ahead and do something Mm. so awesome. And now those exact teachers have come back to me during the pandemic. You know, hey, we've started this business. Can you come give us some consulting? And it's the ultimate, just like, yeah, 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 I can. Yes, I can.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I totally get it. I, I, I totally get it because it's so funny because like I said, I'm going to be turning 50 and I think that, you know, I've done okay professionally, you know, financially, but you know, like I'm still, I still want to just be like, mom, look at the house. Like, you know, like I'm still looking for that validation. <laughs> Um, like, I made it, you know, kind of thing. And so it's funny how it just works that way, how our psychology and, 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 and I, I think if a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, folks at the early stages of their journey or folks contemplating even beginning that journey, I think if they really saw behind the scenes of the way some of the most successful entrepreneurs, experts, you know, gurus, whatever you want to call it. I think they would be surprised at how many are motivated to prove others, like to prove that they're worthy to, to show their teachers or their parents, like, look, I'm, I I made it or I can be successful. It's just funny how it's so not what most people think when they think of experts, like they, they think my whole life is unicorns and candy (laughs) and it's so not right. Like it's so the complete, I get yelled at by my wife, pick up your son socks. And like, it's so not what people think, but it should hopefully serve as inspiration that truly as, as cliche as it sounds, I really believe I tell people all the time, like if I could do it, like this goofball kid from New Jersey barely got by in school and is still fairly disorganized and whatnot, then I mean, sky's the limit for, for others.
2: Like what you're touching on is that, and it was, it goes back to something that you were saying earlier about not really like teaching people stuff that they can't do themselves. There's a lot of people who say like, do do this, but then they have no way of getting their students to actually be able to do it or their clients, yeah. right? This reminds me of what I call lifestyle marketing. There's a lot of people who use lifestyle marketing where they, you know, they stand in front of their Lamborghinis or their big mansions and they say, you can have this too. Just do what I do, right? Problem with that, I, I think that's lazy marketing because mm-hmm. yes, it works to a certain degree. It works because if it didn't work, people wouldn't do it. But the mm-hmm. thing thing is, is that when you do that and you have students, if that is what you're doing, and you're not teaching them that, well, one, that's a disconnect. But then two, they're not in a place to be able to do that type of marketing. They don't have the big homes or you know the fancy cars or anything like that. They don't have the bank account to support it. And then it sets them up for disappointment or failure. And um, I've always looked at you know businesses like, what are the things that we can leverage? Like if we're talking about credibility, well, I can get someone and show them how to get featured in the media and leverage that credibility. Anyone can do that with a small budget saying like, I'm going to go stand in front of a private jet. Well, most people are not going to be able to do that. So why would I yeah. teach that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, you know, and that's a great point, and and I, you know, I I can't disagree with any of that. I I mean, we could certainly talk about even you attract a certain client, a certain buyer when you, you know, with those kind of messages. There's a lot of things that we can talk about as it relates to that kind of marketing. You know, it works with a certain segment of the marketplace for sure that are attracted to that. That's just never been my style. It's not what I want to put out in the world. I don't. It's never been about that for me. It's not like like look. It's great to have nice things, but I just it's never been me. And so I've never wanted to, I think humility is one of the the most beautiful and attractive qualities that an individual can have. I've just never wanted to put that out there. Could I sell more if I did? I'm sure, but I've just never wanted to put that out into the universe. Same here. We agree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We absolutely agree. To me, anytime I see those coming through my feet, it just kind of feels like a flash in the pan. And if it works for those individuals, more power to them, that's great. But going, Back to like the YouTube video that you put up about the entrepreneurs that are really successful versus not. I want to attract the entrepreneurs that are actually wanting to take the next steps and not just like quick cash. I'm gone.
0: And I think that that's so important. I think there there's a there's a valuable lesson e- even in that what you put out there is going to attract a certain type of client. And there's no judgment from me. I think you know again everybody's motivated by whatever they're motivated by. We all have we've all gone on our own journey, and so therefore we're driven by different things, but while I want to help as many people as possible, I want to be around people that have similar values or people similar mm-hmm. uh, to me. And I'm not saying that the people that are using the, the Lamborghini or whatever, the jet, the you know, the, showing their house, like that there's anything wrong with that. It's just never been me.
1: Well, switching gears just a little bit, knowing that you are the number one authority on engineering profitable customer acquisition campaigns, how would you bring predictability into the customer acquisition process? Can you speak to that a little
0: bit? If I go too deep, you, you rein me in uh, and I'm going to try to keep this as least promotional as I can. And so if you want me to dig deeper on something, please fire away. I have a, specific method process that I follow, you know, we named it the E5 method. I want to give you a little context and then I'm going to tell you what it's based on so that we can give value to people, something actionable for folks. When I look at my journey, especially over the last, I would say 10 years, where I differ in... I would say experience from all the other, uh, you know, experts, marketing authorities, whatever you want to call it, out there is that I've had one foot in the online marketing space of so the traditional online marketing world, and at the same time, I've had one foot in the direct response publishing arena with behemoth clients like the Agora Companies, like right? a 1.5 billion dollar a year um, company. And so I've gotten to see Two different worlds. What has been most effective on the in the internet marketing? What's been most effective in the big direct response publishing world? And so what I really have been able to do is pull the best of both worlds together into a seamless method. And so it's kind of funny because I and I, and I talk about this publicly all the time that I bring the best of the online stuff, you know, to the Agoras, to the to these big direct response publishing companies, and they think I'm a genius. Genius. And I bring the best of this world over to the online world and they think I'm a genius. And I'm like, geez, I hope that they never cross over <laughs> and realize that it's coming from, you know, like, you know what I mean? Right. And so that the the E5 method is really grounded in the best of these two different worlds. The way that we put together customer acquisition campaigns or client acquisition campaigns, which by the way, right in every business, customer acquisition is the most difficult task. It's the most expensive task and it's the most Difficult task. Generating that first transaction is infinitely more difficult than is the second, third, fourth, right? The first transaction is what we call the front end. And the second transaction on is what's referred to as the back end. The back end is all the marketing that we do with existing buyers to deliver more value and to grow their lifetime value or, or marginal net worth to the business. The front end is all the marketing that we do with people that have not participated in a transaction yet. And the front end is all about maximum customer acquisition at a reasonable cost. And reasonable cost is different for every business. When it comes to designing front-end campaigns, the way that you engineer a front-end campaign is different than the way that you engineer a back-end campaign. Number one, in order to engineer a campaign for scale, you have to recognize that there's going to be a cost per acquisition. There's going to be a cost to acquire a buyer. And so our first priority is to be able to generate enough per sale to offset our cost per acquisition, right? And so, uh, in other words, the aim has to be on the front. First and foremost, the priority has to be on the front that the economics work, meaning that we can invest a dollar and we can make back a dollar or more in the form of a new customer. So it's not about necessarily conversion rate. It's not about you know opt-in rate. None of those things make a campaign viable or not. You could have a percent sales conversion rate on a front-end campaign and be losing money every time you acquire buyer, you could also have a half a percent sales conversion rate and be raking in the profit per buyer. So you got to recognize that it's all about first and foremost, the economics and that the economics work. It's very different on the back end because on the back end, you've already paid the acquisition cost. So you've already paid to acquire a buyer. Now it's uh, it's no longer about the economics. It's about value extraction, which we, we can talk about. With that as kind of the backdrop, one of the very first things that we talk to folks about, which is, or, or teach folks, train folks. On the very first place that we start is with what we call examination. It's the first stage of the E5 method. E5 method is five stages. We start with examine and we start by examining prospects. You have to start by understanding the psychology of your audience. You have to understand the problem that you are solving for them. Problem that you're solving for them could be some pain point, it could also be an unfulfilled need or desire that they have for more. But what is the problem that you are solving? What do they want? What are their desires? What are their emotions? What are their feelings? What have they been exposed to? What have they heard from competitors? What have they tried before? What do they consider an ideal solution? What do they consider not an ideal solution? You have to start by understanding the psychology of the people that you're talking to, and so you've got to get out of the way. You've got to get out of your own head. You've got to see kind of the world through their eyes, not your own eyes. And so we begin by examining prospects, examining competitors to understand what they're saying, what they're offering, and then we examine finally the product or service that we're going to create a campaign around. After that, we then go and based on that, engineer an offer. When it comes to engineering the offer, there are really two main components. And most people don't talk about these kind of two aspects or two umbrellas, if you will, of offer creation. Number one is that engineering an attractive solution. And so what I mean by an attractive solution is in an ideal world, you're offering them a solution that is easy to use. Use, doesn't take a whole lot of time or learning to implement. Produces fast results for them and big results. There's a few others, but but it starts with the engineering of an attractive solution that you're going to put in their hand. Once we've engineered that attractive solution, then we engineer the offer itself. And the offer itself is what most people typically think of when they think of the offer. These are things like what are the deliverables? So how are we actually putting the solution in their hands? What do they get? What do they use? What are blah blah blah? Then there's price. There's the terms, there's premiums, bonuses, there's risk reversal, right? So we're starting with, by engineering an attractive solution based on the problem that we're solving and based on what it is that we know the marketplace wants, doesn't want, et cetera. Then we're taking that attractive solution and then we're presenting it with an irresistible proposition, right? We're making it harder for them to say no than it is to to say yes. We start there because a great offer can make up for a lot of marketing weaknesses, but great marketing isn't going to make up for a frail or weak. Offer After that, and this is kind of the crux, and then I'll stop. All of our campaigns are built with what we call EBM content. EBM content is education-based marketing content. So we're going to educate the prospect, but we're not going to educate the prospect just to uh, just to educate them. In other words, we're not going to try to show how much we know. We're not going to try to wow them with our, our genius. What we're going to do is we're going to identify our point of differentiation and the point of differentiation that we teach people people to identify is their unique mechanism. Unique mechanism is nothing more than how does your product or service work to deliver the result that your prospects want, the transformation, the result, the change. See, years ago, folks in the direct response world talked about this idea of a USP. The USP is a unique selling proposition. A unique selling proposition is really nothing more than a unique benefit. When you have a product or service that offers your prospect your marketplace, a benefit that no other competitors offer, you have a USP. But today, USPs are extremely rare. They're typically only seen with disruptive technologies, ride sharing when Uber first came out, right? And they were the first to like, now you can hail a a ride with your phone. You don't need cash. You could see how quick they're going to arrive. You can, you got ratings. There was a unique benefit compared to yellow cabs that Uber was offering. Same thing with Netflix, when Netflix went from... Getting the, the, the DVDs or whatever, Blu-ray to online streaming where you pay one fee and now you get access to all this stuff. That was a unique benefit, right? That was a USP. But those are very rare in the majority of, of markets today with the majority of products. So how do you differentiate, right? If you can't differentiate with a unique benefit, the other thing that people try to do, we see this um, all the time, is they try to differentiate by making these outrageous claims. You know, you can lose 100 pounds in the next 48 hours, right? And the reality is, is that either they're lying in most cases, or they reach this point where it lacks credibility and believability, right? And not everything that's true is believable and not everything that's believable is true. Today, it's much, much more difficult like than ever before because of the amount of advertising and marketing, the amount of competition and the amount of skepticism, especially in the online medium to differentiate through an enlarged promise. So what are you left with? If you can't differentiate, if you don't have a unique benefit, a USP, you can't make a bigger, bolder claim without crossing the line. Into unethical and untrue. How do you differentiate? You differentiate with a unique mechanism. You have a different way for your prospect to experience the result that they want. You have a different way to get them the outcome, the transformation that they so desperately want. It's different from the other methods, mechanisms, systems out there. And unless you are selling a pure commodity, like a a glass of tap water, you absolutely can identify the unique mechanism in your supplement, in your coaching program, in your information product, in your agency, whether you're a chiropractor, whether you are a coach consultant does not matter unless you are selling a pure commodity or you're doing everything from second one identical to the way that your competitors are doing it. You can identify a unique mechanism. Once we've identified the unique mechanism and it requires some interrogating, like taking your method, your process, your framework, your system, putting it under the microscope, so to speak, interrogating it, identify it Then name it, which is a different conversation. We go back to the education-based marketing content. And what we're ultimately doing is we're educating on this different and superior way for the prospect to get the result that they want. So we're basically saying to the prospect, we have a different way for you to get the result you wanted, a, a way that you haven't heard about before, a way that you haven't tried before. And this different way is superior compared to the other methods. And here is why. So we're educating them on this different way and we're showing proving what makes it superior to all of the other methods at the end of that education-based marketing portion, we've led prospects to see that this method, this mechanism, this framework, this system is not only different from the others, but it's superior. Now we've led the prospect to want the mechanism. And at that point, that's when we segue into the offer. And the offer is now the vehicle for them to get that mechanism. The mechanism, if you will, is what's in the solution. You've used education, to establish authority and credibility and expertise, but to lead your prospect to see why the mechanism, which is only available through you, is the best solution for what they want and what they need. So they go into the offer really pre-sold, if you will. And now when we wrap that in an irresistible proposition, they're grateful for the opportunity to buy. We don't have to use exaggerated claims, hyperbolic copy. We don't have to say things that aren't true or, or cross over into this unethical realm we show them what is unique and different and superior about your approach give the evidence and support for that and then we give them the opportunity to buy it
1: obviously it's been wildly successful I mean you answered so many of my questions I'm like I'm looking at my questions like I okay, answered answered oh my gosh <laughs> So thank you. Wow. For all of you listening and Uh, watching, you better have your notes out because this is like the most invaluable content.
0: Well, I'm glad that normally, like I'm always nervous, like, oh man, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I I think, you know, without getting, without going too far down the rabbit hole, you know, it really does go back to at the foundation is that too many people kind of confuse or conflate the idea of marketing and selling. You know, it's why I intentionally talk about marketing funnels, not sales funnels, because marketing and selling are two completely different activities with two completely different objectives. Selling is what you're doing when you're talking to a prospect uh, or communicating with a prospect who knows the type of product they want. They know they want your type of product, and now they want to know why your product versus all the other options that they have for that product. The job of marketing, as was said by Peter Drucker, you know, considered the greatest management guru ever, the job, the objective of marketing is really to make selling superfluous, to make selling unnecessary, meaning the hard closing, the the arm twisting, the the job of marketing. When marketing is done right, you, you are setting up the sale perfectly. Marketing is about the prospect and it's about their wants, their needs, their problems, and the perfect solution for them. It comes down to this understanding that even though I'm a huge fan of the classics of direct response, the classics talk about that this is salesmanship in print. I really do not agree with that anymore today, not with the internet and not with the different technology that we have today. And so I think that too many people skip the marketing stage and they go right to the selling. The reason why this method just seems to just continue to perform and outperform other approaches is because we're creating the demand for, the product before we ever even talk about the product. And we're doing it through valuable education that gives insights and ahas and leads the prospect to want the mechanism before we ever even give them the chance. It's a beautiful thing when you really grasp that difference between marketing and selling.
1: Very significant. Incredible. (laughs) incredible.
2: It's like we all arrived at the same conclusion, at least us here. We use the same or very similar strategies, thought process about marketing, selling. It's what we we teach. It's what we utilize with our clients. You know, in my book business, like developing a book follows a lot of what you were just saying. You know, I call it, how do you become a market of one? And a lot of it is the system that you develop, even if it's not you know, um, the most unique thing in the world, it's the system and how you put it together. It's your story that backs up how you developed it. And then what yeah. is the name that you're giving it? Like in your case with your book, it's the five method. Yep. Like My process is called the bestseller method. We give it a name to make it easy for people to comprehend. And then they realize, oh, you've actually got a system. You have yeah. a system. And if I follow this system, I'll get the results.
0: Yeah, well, it's that you're you're so right. I I think, you know, as the, and I love hearing that. It's awesome to see You know, I love when folks, you know, like you get it, do it, use it, the method, the mechanism, the reason why your clients are successful is because of your method, your approach, your process. There was a time when, especially pre-internet, where information tip was valuable because it wasn't as accessible. But today, information is everywhere. And so right, we've got more information today than ever before than we can process. The idea of, I'm going to show you, like, I'm going to show you how to do Facebook advertising, let's say. I'm going to show you how to do it better. I'm going to show you how to get better results from your Facebook advertising. Well, that information is already out there. That's everywhere, right? You go to YouTube, do a search, and you'll find that. People don't want more information. They want a framework. They want a, a system. They right. They want a, a, a blueprint. The other thing is that when you have that blueprint, you're offering something that is proprietary, that can only be found right from you. It's why years ago, when I was working with chiropractors, and they would always say they, they used to say to me, you know, I go out, I do these presentations, and I educate people on the value of chiropractic care, and I deliver a great talk, and and you know, people love it, and they thank me, and then very few become a patient. And I would say to them, I used to say to them, that's because you don't want to educate people on the value of chiropractic care. You want to educate people on the value of chiropractic care with you because if you're just educating them on the value of chiropractic care you're just educating them on the commodity you're getting buy in on the commodity they can then say to you thank you so much for opening my eyes to the value of chiropractic care now I'm going to go to the chiropractor 2 minutes up the road from my house who's a family friend and and so we never want to offer a commodity you want to offer a proprietary solution and that's why you know for a lot of folks it takes time to interrogate and and dig into their process, their framework, their system, their approach, why they do what they do, when they do it, where they do it, how they do it. Why did you choose these five steps? Why in this order? Why not six steps? What happens if it's out of order? Meaning when you spend the time to really interrogate and dig, you identify the reasons why you've chosen to do what it is that you do the way that you do it. So if you spend the time, you can identify the justification, the reason why you use this methodology. Well, once we identify those reasons why those justifications, that becomes the heart and soul of our marketing message. The reason why you do this is because it gets this effect. And if you don't do this, it doesn't get this effect, which means you're exposed to this, right? You identify the educational components that you can use to prove why yours is not only different, but why it is superior. And the reality is, for everybody listening to this that has a method, a process, a framework, a system, an approach, whether they're a coach, a consultant, an agency, an expert, whatever, all of the folks listening, I know that they believe that their way of doing it is the best because if they didn't believe it was the best, they would do it differently, right? So they, they would do it a different way. They wouldn't be doing it. Nobody intentionally does the second best or the third best. And so it's really just a matter of spending the time to identify it, dig it out, and then name it. And we name it based on what it is that we identify through the interrogation and then educate people on why this is not only a different way, but a superior way. It's just a beautiful thing when it's done the right way and it's done with purity, it becomes enormously valuable. Like it's no joke to say that, you know, I'm sure, you know, from, from your experience, when you do it this way, it's not uncommon to have people thank you for the opportunity to buy, right? Which is unheard of in like the typical sales setting, but why are they grateful? They're grateful because you've taken the time to educate them on why this is the best path. The other thing to understand, it's important to recognize that when I talk about the unique mechanism, remember the unique mechanism is the way it's the formula in the blood pressure lowering supplement. It's the algorithm in the software that gets you top rankings. It's the bodywork method or combination of methods that are used in the massage therapy session that get you out of pain so quickly. But it's not the product, meaning the unique mechanism and the product are not the same thing. You can have a software, right? And you name it XYZ software and it's powered by the LMNOP algorithm. And it's the algorithm that is responsible for why the, the XYZ software produces the result. That's an important distinction. It might seem like a nuance, but it's an important distinction because we now have a marketing message that is not a pitch for a product. We're not talking about a product. We're not talking about an offer. We're not talking about a service. We're talking about a method, a framework, an approach, a process, right? A mechanism. It allows us to deliver a message that is truly education-based. We're not talking about a product. We're not pitching. We're not selling. We're educating on a mechanism. just so happens that this mechanism is only available through you, but nevertheless, we're educating and delivering value. And that's an important distinction.
2: It
1: really is. And to your point, and and both I know for Rory and, and to you as well, you offer exceptional support. It's not just like, here's this thing I'm putting out into the world. Good luck, see ya. No, there's yeah. there's the follow-up process, there's the follow-through, there's the check-ins, all of that, right? And I feel like that's something that's lacking with a lot of course creators, content creators that they're just putting stuff out into the world. And there's really just a significant lack of follow-through for the support aspect of it. So well done, gentlemen. <laughs> Way to make that <laughs> happy Thank
0: you. We certainly try, and I think that we're big enough, mature enough, you know, to recognize that you know, you need constant improvement all the time. I know from 20 years ago, the world is a different place. The internet is a different place. You know, Markets evolve all the time. What was extremely in demand can reach a point where it's no longer in demand. What was once new is no longer new. What was once a USP is now a common benefit. Markets evolve. And that's why we all have to be perpetual students of our market. You have to keep your finger on the pulse of your market all the time because it evolves. And some markets evolve much, much quicker. The financial space, investing, some markets evolve slower, the health and wellness space, but they all evolve over time. And so things like big marketing ideas, ideas that are intellectually interesting and emotionally compelling, you know, six months ago may no longer be a big, you know, marketing idea, may no longer be a hook that is seen as new, unique, and different. You have to be aware of that because that's going to play a role in. How you structure your your marketing and what you say and 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 all that.
2: Well, and that's what you know we talk about is like opportunities change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's going to happen. You just have to recognize new opportunities as they come along and be willing to utilize them and not just let watch them pass by because they will pass by sometimes very quickly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think some, I'll say this for what it's worth. I, I completely agree with you. I think on the flip side of the coin, I would say you also have to, you have to be strategic enough to recognize opportunities that you should let go, that you should pass by. Just because, you know, one of the mottos that we kind of have with our team, especially like our leadership team is just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. You have to make sure that you're being strategic in the choices that you make and the opportunities that you pursue because not all opportunities are worthy of pursuit for every entrepreneur. Just because some one person goes into TikTok and is making a bunch of money in TikTok doesn't mean that Every entrepreneur should be should be doing that, and so you got to be strategic about your um, about your choices. But you know you have to be able to recognize opportunities, spot them, see them coming. You know, be able to kind of look around the corner, so to speak, decide which ones you need to pursue, which ones you need to let go, and that comes from keeping your finger on the pulse of the market.
1: Excellent advice. I wish we could keep talking for. Do <laughs> you got like five more hours to just hang with us? I really, I'd love to, but I want to be so respectful of your time. And Todd, I know that you uh, just so generously have offered. Of a gift to our listeners. Can you tell them a little bit about that?
0: I want to give folks the ability to learn more about the E5 method, be able to take some stuff and and put it into action. And so we've got a a little bundle put together. I'm going to leave some mystery, uh, but a, a little bundle put together for folks to learn more about the E5 method and how they can use it in their own business to grow, to differentiate, to get attention, to turn that attention into engagement, to produce more sales, all that stuff. And we've got it for them at e5bundle.com awesome that's an incredible gift yeah. thank you thank so
2: you much. so much for doing that guys uh if you're listening make sure you go there now because uh this information is so valuable it's so in alignment with what we talk about on this podcast over and over and over again todd you've put it together in such a way that is just so easy to follow and and well thought out thank you for being here
0: and for sharing uh such valuable information with everyone my pleasure my honor. Um, You guys are rock stars, like I said, figuratively (laughs) and literally. Um, And so I loved it. Had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. All
1: right, guys, that is it for this episode. We'll see you next week. Thanks for watching or listening. Bye. (laughs)